0: Dear friends, as we uh, begin this uh, most holy week in the liturgy of the church, uh, on that note, you know, as we we enter uh, this holy week, I we want to together with you to focus on the the passion of our Lord. And one of the things we see, um, uh, particularly both in the last two weeks in the, in the Gospel, is this this clear confrontation of our Lord with the uh, with the religious leaders of his time and. Uh, they are determined to uh, crush him. And our Lord is determined uh, to do the will of his Father. He has planned this from all eternity. And so uh, what I want to do for you this this week in the sermons is to look more profoundly, more deeply at the injustice that our Lord would suffer at the hand of uh, the religious leaders uh, in order for us to understand a little bit more Uh, the sorrows that were in the heart of our Lord as he's witnessing all these things in order for us not only to see and enter deeply into the heart of our Lord and the sorrows of the injustice that he's enduring uh, uh, for doing the will of his Father but at the hand of these religious leaders but also so that we can make the application to ourselves and to our own times and that I will help you with but uh, the 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 foundation the basis for my talks actually comes from a, a famous book put together by two Jewish converts to the faith called Jesus Before the Sanhedrin. Uh, the, the two Jewish brothers known as the the Lamant brothers uh, put together a work which was later translated from the the French to the English by Julius Magath. And the, the the book is readily available, so you can still um, purchase it uh, today. It's still in print. Uh, but what inspired these these Jewish converts to put this work together was that uh, being Jews, they understood very well something that we have certainly even lost sight of or forgotten that the, the judicial system that, that was in vogue at the time of our Lord dated back basically to the time of Moses. And God through Moses and the various other prophets uh, inspired the Jews to have a very beautiful Um, and and fair and just judicial system which was set up to be able to give anyone accused of anything uh, a fair trial uh, so uh, that justice could be uh, done and and, uh, seen to be done. When they looked at the trial in the case of our Lord, they could see that a vast number of uh, legal requirements were clearly violated and uh, one of the things that comes out to anyone who is not a scholar if you want um, who's not versed in in, in israeli uh, israelite law is is the very fact that we we are seeing already in the new testament in these last uh, few weeks that the the jewish leaders are very uh very clearly intent on putting our law to death even without a trial and and this is a very clear violation of justice and we read in saint john's gospel both the chief uh, chief priests and the Pharisees had uh, given a command that if any man should uh, uh, know where Jesus was that he should show it to them that that may take him. We see from this that uh, the death of our Lord is decided upon already uh, regardless of any uh, fair trial. The high priest having declared himself that it would be better for one man to die and this sentence they point out was pronounced without summoning the accused into council, without witnesses, without making any investigation to his doctrine or his miracles. Neither was it pronounced because Jesus was found to be seditious or revolutionary. On the contrary, he's quite respectful of the Jewish leaders, uh, as you saw with the, the healing of uh, the, uh, the the leper, go show yourself to the priest, the respect, the kindness, the goodness of our Lord. That wasn't their motive, but rather it, uh, they wanted to put our Lord to death because it was necessary to stop his miracles and thus destroy the people's belief in him. The sentence, having been pronounced by the high priest, it was ratified by the whole assembly. Then from that day, we read in the Gospels, they took counsel together to put him to death, to put our Lord to death without trial. They came and assembled together, we read in St. Luke's Gospel, the chief priests, the scribes and the elders of the people, in the the place of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and consulted that they might take Jesus uh, by subtlety and kill him. But they said not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar amongst the people." So we notice that at this gathering the question of the sentence of Jesus is no longer debated. His death has already been determined upon. The only thing that now remains to be settled are the manner of his death and the proper time of its execution. Eventually it is decided to delay the arrest of our Lord to a time after the Passover. Uh, This uh, precaution was taken to prevent the interference of the people. Having determined on this course, they are about to adjourn when uh, an unforeseen event uh, uh, changes their course. And what's that? That is Judas. Judas enters, Satan enters into Judas, the Gospel of St. Luke tells us, uh, and uh, he went his way and communed with the chief priests how he might betray him unto them. And we we know uh, the rest of the story. But the Laman brothers conclude on three points, which I'm just going to uh, conclude on in this first part of uh, my commentary for Passion Week. They point out three things have taken place here. Bear in mind the fact that Jesus would not make his first appearance before the Sanhedrin until the Thursday evening of the second week of Nisan. We notice that three different sessions had already been held by the body of the Sanhedrin uh, in which three adverse judgments were passed upon him. Firstly, the first council in excommunicating the partisans of Christ, denounced him as a false prophet and consequently guilty of death. The second council, the question of whether he should die or not was proposed and unanimously decided in the affirmative. In the third council, his arrest and execution were appointed to take place at the favorable opportunity. And they conclude with this question to their own people. We now ask of every sincere Israelite, if the trial of Christ was not a fearful mockery and a lie and dear friends we know that the answer to that it was a fearful mockery and it was a lie and it was an insult to god himself but you know uh, as we understand very clearly our lord was the innocent lamb of god who was uh, unjustly led to the slaughter but we might ask ourselves how is it that these religious people and keep in mind there were devoutly religious people who fasted who prayed who did penance who did all these religious things, how is it that they could have become so blind as to put to death their own uh, Saviour? Well, the response is, the reality is that they were blinded by their own passions. And, you know, what What a great grace was given to them to see, to hear, to witness our Lord, to witness the miracles, uh, to look upon the divine face of our Saviour. And yet what graces would have had to been spurned Uh, in order for them to have such a a heart and mind set against our lord and ultimately the point is here when it comes to uh, people being so blind in their judgment what blinds their judgment is precisely uh, their passions And, you know, as much as we might be somewhat resentful against the Jews having done this, and of course we are saddened that they would be so blind because they were uh, the chosen people, given such an abundance of graces. But can't we, to be honest, can't we say this of ourselves today, and of our religious leaders and of our people of our time? Have we not acted in such a hypocritical manner ourselves, in like manner hiding behind our religious facade rather than living by it and up to it? How much hypocrisy and insincerity, if we want to say, have we not witnessed at the hands of the bishops, the priests and lay people in the last few decades of the church? In reality, our churches should be full and not half empty or empty in in most cases. They should be filled with God-fearing people who love each other, who love God, with such zeal and fire, uh, instead of the hypocrisy that we see uh, around us, where we see really a church, men, women, bishops, priests, priests, really who are idolaters, filled with the self-love, filled with their own self-importance, their own self-worth, and who are no longer able to recognize the grace of God in their midst. Uh, Have we not, as individuals and as a church as a whole, forgotten to keep the Lord of Christ, but instead we've often sought our own personal interest and gain? Have we not ourselves betrayed uh, our Lord and the love for the truth and justice, Uh, instead putting ourselves first. We need to look closely into our hearts to see how we ourselves have often deviated from the law of Christ and betrayed goodness and justice to serve ourselves. You know, if we want to be honest here, how few do you see in the world or in the church who are able, uh, whether they're religious or whether secular leaders, to make an objective judgment on anything without allowing their own self-love and passions to blind them? And so, in doing so, What do they do? They betray innocence and justice for for the sake of their own personal gratification and for the sake of putting forth their own false perception on things. And so I just want to conclude for all of us this beautiful prayer which we can really I think say all together from the words of King David in the Psalms, Psalm 129. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my supplication. If you, O Lord, will mark iniquity, Lord, who shall stand? For with you there is merciful forgiveness, and by reason of your law I have waited for you, O Lord. My soul has relied on your word, my soul has hoped in you. For from the morning watch, even until night, let Israel hope in the Lord, because with the Lord there is mercy, and with him plentiful redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Lord, have mercy on us, be merciful to us, O Lord. Amen.